Hello and welcome to this week's Radio Oedipus podcast. If 2020 was the year to start making your own sourdough, then maybe 2021 should be the year you dive into Koji. Koji is the magical national mold of Japan that produces miso, soyu, mirin, sake and vinegar and basically anything else that features in your favourite Japanese foods. Today I'm here with Amsterdam's very own Kojiologist Marika Grun. So what does a Kojiologist do? Um, well, I've got a bag of koji right here, so here it is. That's koji. Okay. <laughs> well, you listeners at home, okay. uh, this yeah, clear we can just toss it around and crack it into a little show into and tell. And then yeah, yeah. smell and then eat it even. It's edible. So it's koji is that, that thing. And today I brought a rice koji, the white rice koji. Okay. And it's basically a moldy rice, what you're eating and smelling. <laughs> Um, it's either I, uh, the legumes or grains that are inoculated with this fungi called the kojikin or aspergillus oryzae in a scientific name. Mm-hmm. And um, traditionally speaking, we inoculate all kind of you know rice, barley, uh, soybeans with that mold, that edible mold, and then we mix it with the, the other raw materials to make a miso or a sake or um, shoyu, the soy sauce, yeah. vinegars and stuff like that. So it's like a yeah, um, moldy, moldy grain, moldy legumes. Yeah, it's a mold that that you can grow on grains or pulses. But I'm I'm surprised that this is. I have basically just a bunch of rice grains in my hands with some white stuff growing on it. But it yeah. immediately smells like miso or oh really? Okay. So yeah, I. I I smell way more of the sweeter, deeper flavors than, yeah, rice doesn't really have strong aroma. doesn't have that sweetness. This is really sweet, um, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But what, so you said basically it's a mold that uh, transforms uh, things. Mm. What what is the koji doing to these other products? Mm. Um, Well, these days in the modern gastronomy, people inoculate this mold onto any kind of things, like even in animal proteins and... uh, uh, bread even, but uh, traditionally speaking, we, we just grow them on the soybeans and uh, rice grain or barley. And well, what it does, um, yeah, I mean, the koji and the tane koji, the starters are different things. And what you had is koji. So the sort of, it's not really quite final product, but uh, it comes always in a two-step brewing. You make a koji to make something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need uh, something else called the Tane koji, which means like seed starter, seed koji, mm-hmm. uh, spores, to make a koji. And with that koji, we to make something else. So when you make a miso, for example, you mix that rice koji you just had with mm-hmm. the soybeans. And uh, the enzyme from the koji will break down the nutrients in the soybeans. And uh, it makes it more digestible and uh um, since it's mixed with the salt, it can also be preserved for a longer period of time and the uh, flavor becomes more delicious. Yeah, okay. it en- enhances and elevates the flavor. Uh, yeah. That's what I've been reading about. That's it's right. kind of, is a bit of a game changer. Yeah. And uh, see, that's why it seems to be very fascinating. But it has been something that's been around in Asian food culture for thousands of years, right? Exactly, yes. But it's, uh, it's only just kind of finding its way over to the to the rest of the world. Um, why do you think modern chefs are now finding it so fascinating to use? Oh, I think it's because of flavor that you okay. can get from. I mean, I don't remember the year, but since some years ago, the umami, the, the word umami has become quite international and the buzzword. And that's some kind of 
the flavor that we didn't really have it as a like a staple flavors. And what koji can offer is that umami flavor, and people are just waking up to that new flavor and taking them into their gastronomy and the new menus. And I think it is growing, though it's still quite a minority. We are the small group of people for yeah. expanding, but yeah. flavor enthusiasts, yeah, or so, exactly, or, or professionals. Even. Mm. Is umami a, a term that you would use? Because I feel like it's, it's a, if you were to define what umami is, it just kind of means delicious, savory flavor, right? Mm. But it, it's just typical of Asian food. Is, is this something that you would use in when describing Asian food? Quite often. Or is it just a Western term? Oh, no, no, no. We use it in Japan okay. always. And uh, there's another word also called amami. Sounds quite like umami. But okay. these two words, the groceries, are what describes most of the Japanese products. Um, we have umami and amami. Amami means like sweetness. Okay. Umami is like kind of fullness, richness, right? So in the sake, there are both of them in it. Miso even, every other Japanese fermented product. So, okay. Yeah. What kind of flavor and taste or smell is typical of koji, would you say? Typical um, of koji itself. How would you describe what you just had? I mean, that would be the... <laughs> but there's there's, de there's definite sweetness there. But yeah, I, yeah. I, from what I've been reading, and I have been doing homework, so I've got um, a big book in front of oh, me. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. And they often say there's like uh, quite floral, but also quite grapefruity. And mm. there's lots of different... It depends uh, on flavors the, it can take. Yeah, but it depends on the substrate and the type of the starters you use. Because I just brought one, for example, and uh, I'm already not following the program, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Bring it on. You know, I mean. No. We yeah, well, I mean, really roughly talking, we have we have the, you know, the, the starter. I just call it tanekoji seed starters. Tanekoji mm -hmm. meant for miso making, tanekoji made for sake making or shoyu making and many more others. And you know, the, each client, so the producers of those fermented products have different kind of demands and the tanikoji makers can meet their client demands mm -hmm. by sort of doing a coffee branding. Okay. And yeah, kind of the, finding the characteristic feature of the each strain and then bring them up to make a certain product, the bag of starters. And then they can, the client can make a koji and that koji could um, taste or smell differently depending on what they use. And that also changes depending on the substrate and also depending on the way they make a koji. So it's like, a, I don't know, the flower, there's no... Very versatile, same. basically, by what you're saying. It's, mm. It can take lots of different states and yes. forms. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can't make exactly the same koji anymore no. from what you had. No. It's always slightly different. Yeah. yeah. In a way yeah. Unless, well, yeah, you, you work really clean and uh, systematically... Mm -hmm. Then you can achieve the. I mean, yeah. you can you can always aim for the certain level of enzyme and uh, flavor mm -hmm. by selecting the same ingredient, same material, same setting, and same time of incubation, the yeah. temperature, humidity, etc. Mm. Yeah, process yeah. control. Yeah. yeah, it's the same as beer making, I guess. Mm. Where with the basic raw materials and having yeast, uh, different strains of yeast in the end that can 
bring something. But uh, if your wart is dark and you add a lot of hops, you end up with a slightly different end product than mm. when it's a lighter wart or uh, mm. and you use uh, less hops. Um, mm. Using the same str- yeast strain, but then there's also all these yeast strain. And I think also different koji strains that have different characteristics. I think it's maybe a good moment to introduce that we have got a beer on the table. We are going to talk a bit uh, later about koji and alcohol because sake, as we know, is uh, uh, an alcoholic beverage enjoyed in Japanese culture, uh, which is made with koji. But on the table today, we've got something very far away from Japan. We've got a Belgian uh, red ale, uh, the Rhombach Grand Cru, uh, aged in oak food, as it says in the bottle. Indeed. Yeah, the... (coughs) most famous or the style example uh, probably of uh, uh, Flanders style red ale. Mm-hmm. So it's a red ale that refers to the color of the beer. Um, and um, the Flanders red ale, so the Flanders style is uh, referring to the the, um, the type of fermentation, basically, mm-hmm. that this beer... Um, uh, is made or the way the, the beer is made. So, um, Rodebach Cancru is a blended beer where young beer and old beer are blended together to get this consistent product. And the old beer actually matures in these massive wooden barrels that they call fooders, also used in winemaking. And they're uh, at Rodebach. I've never been there, uh, um, uh, but I would like to. But uh, apparently they have uh, one of the biggest fooder forests uh, in oh, the wow. world. There's mm-hmm. actually a lot. Uh, and yeah, in these fooders made out of wood, there is uh, there are wild cultures. So wild yeasts and bacteria mm-hmm. that um, do a secondary fermentation on the beer that mm-hmm. enters the fooder. And then it can mature in there. And when it's considered ready, they can blend it with young beer to find the right balance. There's mm-hmm. the... Regular Rodebach and the Grand Cru uh, is a slightly different brand, uh, blend, I think. Mm. Uh, but it's really this typical style example of what uh, yeah, the style defines. Uh, and it definitely has some acidity. I think also in the nose there are a bit of these lactic. Mm. There's this lactic mm. character. There are for sure lactobacillus uh, that play um, a role in, in, this, uh, in this beer. I think also... Um, they're really um, characterized by uh, a a hint of acidic acid. So there's always some sharp sourness in this beer um, that brings some depth and uh, and character that you you don't find in in many other beers. Where does the redness come from? Is that from fruits? Malts. From malts. Yeah, so caramelized or some roasted malts, some dark malts. So the brewing is very standard. Then there's a primary fermentation with a Saccharomyces yeast. But then um, the magic really happens in the fooders and Mm -hmm. uh, thyme and all those sculptures in there. A bit of oxygen because wood is uh, a bit permeable. So there's some oxygen feeding into the fooder, making those bacteria uh, thrive and create the acidity and uh, Mm -hmm. complexity that they, uh, yeah... Uh, that they ser- that serves then as a base for this blended final product. Thinking about fooders, uh, Marika, is there a certain kind of culture or habitat that koji needs to grow? Does it need like a t- certain 
Because food is a, a, these big oak barrels, which add to the flavor, I'm sure, of the, of the beer. Does koji need a certain kind of habitat in order to develop as well? It's it's a mold. It's not a yeast or it's not a bacteria, but it's a, it's a life itself. So it needs to have a food. And mm. uh, um, typically they eat the starches, so the carbohydrate and the protein, but they can also in you know, feed on uh, different things, and uh, but the the mainly the reason why the humans make koji is because we want to benefit from the certain enzymes. The koji can pretty much produce uh, most of the enzymes that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know exactly how many. It's there's a really really broad range of you know oh, the wow. discrepancies in the researches, but mm-hmm. uh, there are a couple of uh, different um, enzymes that we we humans focus on benefit mm-hmm. from. And one of them is the carbohydrate degrading enzyme, which is called the amylase. Yeah. Which yeah. is the same as what we have in our saliva. And the other one is called the protease, protease. which is the uh, protein breaking down enzyme. Yeah. And and interestingly enough, but those are the things that produces the two flavors that I mentioned previously, this umami and mm-hmm. amami. You probably know maybe a lot about the enzyme as well, but... Uh, most brewers uh, those are uh, familiar... Uh, <laughs> oh, good, uh, good. Familiar yes. phrases. <laughs> yeah, terms. Yeah. Mm. Now, yeah, and they're they're crucial also in the mm-hmm. brewing process. But uh, mm-hmm. amylase, uh, mm-hmm. alpha and beta amylase are also part mm-hmm. of the mesh where mm-hmm. we don't use koji, but mm-hmm. use a mesh at a certain temperature, mm-hmm. and the grains the, uh, provide the enzymes to break down starches into simpler sugars. Mm-hmm. Just to just to try and fully understand what uh, koji is before we go any further, I'd like to kind of ask a few questions about maybe the history of it. Because obviously, if koji is a mold, uh, I guess it's always maybe been there, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. how, do you know much about how it was discovered uh, back in Japan? <laughs> back in Japan, or well, the, um, there's a lot of hypotheses, and uh, it's really no one knows exactly like how they are found or where they came from. But we just know like since when we started using it in our food culture. Yeah. But uh, you know, a long time ago, like a thousand years ago, people were still already making koji. But in a such a way that doesn't use the starter like this. Yeah. It was called a tomokoji, and literally means like a friend's koji. So you basically make a koji um, somehow <laughs> in the very beginning, and then in the next batch, you just mix that previously made koji into the next batch of steamed rice, for example, and mm. multiply it and multiply it, and you just keep doing that. But um, you know, obviously that the quality of the strain won't be stabilized that way. And back in those days, we didn't, they didn't have any facilities to sanitize anything. And there's definitely a risk of contaminations and mm-hmm. maybe there are some sacrifices even. But <laughs> but at, at some point, they started making koji from, they got an idea of using some kind of starters. And that is what we have today. But, you know, it's really traveling back in uh, old times, there are also the way to make a koji from something called inadama. I'll just pass this to you around. Um, this is inadama. It's called uh, also inakoji. If I translate, yeah, I can't retranslate. It's, um, you know, if you go visit a rice paddy, rice farms that grows rice without any pesticides or fertilizers, so organically, uh, in September or October, so the season of harvest, sometimes you see this little dark green uh, globe-shaped thing on right, growing on a rice stalk, and that is the inakoji. And it was considered a, like a disease, 
but it was also considered as a symbol of a good harvest those days. And what was interesting is that our ancestors, the people, started breaking this into pieces and mix it with wood ash to make koji. But that stuff is uh, basically, it's not really quite koji mold. There are five to ten different kinds of mold in it. It's a mm-hmm. big colony. Yeah. But by breaking that into pieces and mix it with wood ash, they were able to kind of selectively grow or let the certain strain survive for koji making. So the strain of what they thought it's useful for koji making. Um, long story short, <laughs> no, so no. that's called the uh, inakoji, and uh, and it's a, it occurs naturally on the rice plant. Rice plant, yeah. So you've, you've, these col- this is a pure colony of molds. It's yeah. not just another because it looks a bit like a, a grain or a, yes, a pearl. Exactly. To me, it looks like a very dark green, yeah. slightly shrunken uh, cocoa bean or something. Yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. or coffee bean. But, yeah. it, but it, it, it is pure, hundred percent mold. Or yeah, it's not on a rice grain. That's the and they, it's not on a rice grain. It's on the rice rice stalk. So yeah. just you know the, the rice stalk yeah. and grains are growing, and then yeah. here and there you find that thing, the bulb-like thing, just growing oh, yeah. a bit. And people collected that to make koji. But interesting wow. is that I, I told you they mixed it with the wood ash, and yeah. the wood ash is a strong alkaline, and the koji funk is interestingly quite tolerant for alkaline environment, whereas most of the other strains are not. Mm-hmm. So they were able to sort of, you know, suppress the other microbes and then just selectively grow the koji, uh, well, what they thought of koji king, and use it for koji making, mm. it was, although it was still risky. So, I mean, there are still people who are doing that. Like if you go visit the local farms, they are doing this way of making koji. But most of us and the professionals buy these starters from the place called the Tanekoji makers. Mm-hmm. And uh, because those are the ones who became good at um, cultivating the koji spores and uh, analyzing the characters and features and of course maintain it and has a f- certain facilities. And Are there have... new strains being released or um, developed? It's more like a blend, I think, because, I mean, you know, if you buy a bag of starters, it's the same as buying the seed, the bags full of, seed of vegetables, for example. So even though they're all called, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this name, Aspergillus oryzae, it's a scientific name, Aspergillus oryzae, every single guy is different. Mm-hmm. You know, although I mean, they are, they're definitely kind of grouped together when they come like this in a package. But originally, you know, one, one strain, one spore may be good at breaking a certain um, substrate down into, so, okay, so maybe it's good at, I don't know, music, or one strain is good at uh, running and one strain okay. is good yeah. at, you know, the history or some something like that. So yeah. the Tanikoji makers, we just grouped the um, similar strains together to package the product to provide a, a meet this demand from the certain clients. And it's just the safest way. And for the quality-wise, it's just the fastest way to buy it from those professionals. We have six, I think it's six makers, if you want to know the name, I can even <laughs> mention it. But uh, yeah, these these are the people who we are rely on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. When did your relationship with Koji start? When did you first start using it, or was it was it always in your kitchen growing up, kind of thing? <laughs> no, not really, because I 
Well, when I was in Japan, I could buy miso or shoyu or anything. Yeah. But when I came to Netherlands or Europe, I couldn't find any single miso back in those days. Oh, yeah. Nothing. So if I was lucky, I could find one miso in an Asian Korean supermarket. But yeah. <laughs> I grew up with a particular type of miso called the Bali Koji miso. It's called Mugi miso. And I wanted to make one. So that's when I started making koji. Because I there was also I mean if there was no miso the koji wasn't available either. So yeah I don't know what um, not long ago not ten years ago but uh, six years ago or so. But my fermentation journey started from vinegar making. Okay. And, yeah, and kombucha and then it's, and went on uh, other all kind of Japanese ferments like miso, soy sauce, sake vinegar, um, mm-hmm. meeting stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. cool. And I, I was reading about your uh, your uh, on your website um, mm. about all the workshops that you do, and and it says something about how it's important to respect this mold uh, in order to kind of create a better harmony with the world. Is koji seems very important uh, in the kind of Asian food landscape? Uh, is a big part of koji about honouring the the process of the mold and and respecting local ingredients? Is would you say? Oh yeah, well I well didn't see that coming. Thank you for asking it <laughs> because most of the people are interested in the technical part of this process. But it, it, no, it's, we often it, like the uh, the spiritual or philosophical <laughs> philosophy, I'm philosophy only behind in it. <laughs> I like the magic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just the part that I can. I always find it difficult to put it into words. But uh, indeed, uh, people always found the uh, and the spiritual connection with the. Uh, you know, working with invisible, not necessarily with working with the koji. I think also it occurs in the beer brewing, you know, just growing, cultivating something and believing the invisible force by, you know, unknown creatures. And, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, and indeed it's also uh, builds up the strong relationship with the local cuisine as well. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, for my personal experiences, it kind of strengthened my ability to sort of trust the society and also trust yourself and uh, be confident, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so that, that sort of stuff, I mean, and that's, I think it's something we share for thousand years, not just now by making it. Because, I mean, who, who thought, thousand years back, some kind of Japanese person thought, let's make sake out of this moldy rice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy, it's cra- you know? yeah, it's crazy. Why would you think? It's bizarre. <laughs> It's the same with cheese. It's the same with cheese making. It's like or beer. Yeah, or beer. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm so thankful these uh, these maybe magical accidents happened. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. this old document in uh, Nara period called Harimana Fudoki. It's like oldest ancient uh, record of the local regulations and laws. And there's this very small captions goes. Um, sorry, I'm gonna say in Japanese, but uh, oh, go for it. <laughs> Okami no mikare nurete kabi haeki. あ、すなわちサケを立てると鴨刺しめて庭木を立て祭りで宴式。あ、でも、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの
ja, before Pasteur, nobody knew about single cell uh, mm. yeasts and uh, nobody can see them, but they knew fer- what fermentation was and they knew n- fermentation was necessary to make a beer. Mm. So indeed, uh, a bit of the uh, yeast slurry was transferred from one vessel to the other. Mm. And that step or that process was called God is good. Or, oh. or yeah, so this is <laughs> God is good. We have to put some God is good in mm-hmm. the next brew because otherwise nothing will happen and uh, mm. there's no party in the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, so th- there's quite some uh, mm. parallel, I guess. Yeah. I want to find out how to use it because you said uh, you've brought some uh, koji spores here or some inoculated rice, however we want to call it. Uh, yeah. And it would have been nice to try and make something with koji on the show but uh, as we discussed that (laughs) takes at least three days if not Mm. a lot longer Uh, so you have brought some stuff to do some show and tell it would be great to try and look at some of this stuff and we'll do our best to explain it um but so i'm curious how would i grow koji using this or how would i use it let's give me a bit of a crash course Let's say we are making rice koji, which we initially wanted to do here. It takes about a three days, and uh, that includes the uh, the preparation the night before. So what I've done for this one is to just simply take a um, um, white grain rice and uh, uh, rinse it, and then soak it <clears throat> overnight with plenty of water. And the next day you steam it. Uh, now you shouldn't boil it or cook it because the, each grain has to be sort of um, separatable from each other. Okay. And uh, I don't know if that's applicable. Well, um, and that's because we want to later on inoculate this um, powder, the spore, onto the steamed rice. And every single grain of rice needs to catch one spore at least. So if they're sticky or, you know, the chill, you know, stick together, mm-hmm. there may be some kind of rice grain, but they may not catch the uh, spore. So it's important that they're cooked well, done really well, but they're really easy to separate. So that's why we steam the rice, no matter what. And um, after steaming the rice, we cool the rice down to around 40 degrees because that's about a um, temperature that the koji fungi can tolerate. Mm-hmm. So after cooling down the rice, we inoculate the koji spores and uh, we wrap them up into... Um, yeah, it could be like a really thin canvas cloth or uh, something that doesn't suck up too much moisture from the rice itself because the, it's a mold. Mold needs moisture. Okay. The substrate has to be rehydrated enough, in each, particularly for the first part. So we make sure to wrap them really nice and tight and then we keep it at the, um, some kind of incubation setting or somewhere you can keep it warm, somewhere between, I don't know, around, say, body temperature, I would say. Because that's around the temperature that they need the they the koji fungi needs to um, sprout, so they will start waking up in under the high humid and uh, body temperature environment. And uh, once they start growing the roots, ooh, roots, um, they need to breathe. They will start needing oxygen. So that's around say. Um, 24 hours from the time you started inoculating and wrapped them up. But the root itself already started germinated after, I don't know, 12 hours or 10 hours. So there's an option of kind of mixing halfway. And then uh, around 24 hours later, you will definitely witness the temperature of the koji itself is sort of rising by itself. Because once they uh, start growing roots they will start producing heat by themselves as well. Right, okay. So you can also kind of uh, step back and uh, maybe 
lower the a level of heat retention mm -hmm. and uh, kind of let the koji dry by itself. Mm -hmm. You still need to support them depending on how while they are driving. <laughs> and uh, we do this thing called teire. It's a Japanese word again. It means like giving hands. So we basically mix them and break the um, um, not quite mat, but a chunk of koji that are starting to mat together. Mm -hmm. And while breaking them apart completely, we also try to relocate inside and outside and the top and bottom because humidity and temperature is different depending on the well location of the you know, mandal of rice. So we try to make it consistent completely. And we do that while keeping eye on the koji growth. Uh, so the you can witness that by temperature of the koji, smell, visual, and uh, you can taste it also, and you just have that senses to see if the koji is starting to grow. And the next 24 hours, you just um, check how koji is doing, and you mix it if it's necessary, and maybe you add more um, humidity retention if it's needed, if the koji is getting too dry. Um, did this? I don't know. It's a long story. It's depend on what so kind of koji you want to grow, but uh, yeah, okay. if you want to, you know, make a general one. And around the time at twenty, sorry, forty-eight hours mark from the moment you wrapped it, approximately the koji should be ready around then. But that's quite an adjustable depending on how you make it and what you use it for and what kind of koji you're aiming at. Right. Okay. Mm. And how? Um... How am I, how are you doing this at home? Have you got like a special like incubator or, or is it is it easy for me to do it at home? It's I, definitely easy. Yeah. I've seen I've been teaching a number of students in Europe and Japan and they all have different kind of settings. And myself started with a styrofoam box and oh, yeah. uh, with a just a four cups of mag mug cups of hot water in four corners to you know, hydrate and keep it warm inside. Her. So it was really primitive, and uh, but it worked completely. But when I um, scaled up to a bigger production, I started seeking for different um, facilities and I made a sort of DIY incubation chamber from the secondhand uh, wooden cabinet, well, cupboard, I would say, cupboard. And then now that's... Uh, mm, yeah, that has the heat retention and uh, I sometimes put humidifier inside to hydrate inside. But uh, it's made of wood, so I don't re actually recommend it anymore because the wood bends because of the humidity inside. So I'm yeah. trying to make a number two mm -hmm. uh, incubation chamber. But some people use the old fridge, for example. Yeah, It keeps the uh, humidity and temperature very well and it's easy to clean. And some people use the, uh, some people use the, just the electronic blanket. From all the way through. Yeah. yeah. I actually use that sometimes. And some people use the oven with a, just a pilot lamp on. Yeah. Mm. And with maybe extra, I don't know, the the cup of hot water or something for hydration. But you um uh don't you say you wrap it, but you don't put it in plastic, the culture itself oh, on sorry. the yeah. well, yes, we because do. it yeah, okay, okay. It doesn't have to breathe or it, it has to, uh, fresh oxygen doesn't necessarily need fresh oxygen all the time. You can uh, mix it at some point and then. No, not all the time. But no. uh, for the first half of the incubation or one side of the incubation time, they need the, the moisture the most. So exactly. 
you indeed thank you, you for need mentioning plas- plastic, you need plastic and not a cloth uh, no 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 that. i would also have a cloth but you i also cover a uh, wrap it wrap it with a um, plastic bag and then i put it into somewhere warm yeah yeah to make sure that it doesn't dry out exactly yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. good point <laughs> and then is it um can you then, once you've grown uh, your koji on your rice, can you then uh, go backwards? Can you use some of that koji as a starter for another batch of koji, or do you mm. need more starter culture? No, I mean that, that's the actually the tomokoji that I was mentioning in the previous part of this talk. The tomokoji, so using the previously <laughs> made koji to make another one, but it doesn't really. Well, I mean. You know, the longer you incubate, there's always a bigger risk of contamination and uh, mix of microbes, mix of, mix of cultures. But it is indeed possible. If you really want to do it, if you're really in short of the starters, mm-hmm. you can let the um, incubation much longer and um, long enough that the substrate will start producing the spore. Because it's 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 life. You know, the, let's say this one mold spore is floating in the air. It's looking for food. And it lands on some kind of surface, preferably nutrient-rich or, or hydrated, and they start eating it. And then once they finish eating it, they just grow a stem and bloom, blooms like flowers. And then, like a pollen, they start producing spores. And that's what they need for the next batch. And that's exactly what the tanekoji makers are doing professionally. Mm-hmm. So if you want to mimic what they're doing, you could do it. But I personally don't recommend it for quality issues and... Uh, Beginners, particularly. It's, okay. It's, it's much easier and much better. Stick and, with uh, your starter. Faster to use the starters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then what, what are we doing next? We've inoculated our rice. We've mm. got this uh, koji rice going on. Mm. How would I then use it in my kitchen? What? Mm. You can make all kinds of things. For example, um, you know, the miso can take, um, well, there's shorter fermented type of miso, but the generally speaking, it could take about a year or two. But if you don't want to wait for it, you can make something like, for example, this is um, shio, some. I wrote the name on the bottle, shiokoji. It's the one of the easiest thing that the people make from koji. Um, I think there's a spoons around yeah. there. Yeah, just just for people yeah. that are listening, uh, Marika's mm. bought a, a little box of lots of different magic potions that she keeps referring to and passing around. Mm. This one's a little milk bottle style with shiokoji on it. So that's a mixture of the salt and water and the koji, just three ingredients. And we use it for, <laughs> you treat it like, <laughs> nah. it's not a nah, I was afraid uh, I was going to make a mess Drip? here, but uh, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite low in salinity, so I think it's not going to bite you very much. But uh, we use this in dressings or okay. stir fry or anything. So basically you can consider it as a liquid salt packed with umami. Yeah, that's sh- what a bit the of um, vinegar like notes. Uh, maybe a little bit, mm. or slight acidity also. Yeah, there must be a lactic acid bacteria in it. Mm. And also, you can also make uh, what was it again? Amazake. Uh, this is also made with just koji, koji and uh, rice. Uh, sorry, koji and water. And uh, you mix those two and keep it at the 50 to 60 degrees Celsius for about, uh, uh, I don't know, six, five to eight hours or so. Then the enzyme namylase will start breaking down the starches into sugars and then you get the sweet flavors. So that's what the masake is. The name kind of suggests that the alcoholic beverage, because it sounds like sake, but it's not. It's no, just don't be fooled. <laughs> yeah. So that's the two things that is 
very difficult to any cozy brewers to start making. And this is just having your starter, like you explained, and then adding water, salt, maybe yeah. something else, and then, yeah, and done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, for the shiokos, you don't even need to um, keep it at 50 or 60 degrees. You just keep it at room temp and then stir it once or twice, and then Super it's Super tasting. It's really... Yeah, it's a bit of this porridge type of since uh, it's it's also sweet, especially yes. the last one where the first mm. one I had. Some oh wow, two acidity. completely different flavors. Yeah, there. yeah. And let me see what's. But the... there's no in these products uh, yeast added or no, a fermentation no, no, like that. No, no, no. I never used the uh, commercially available yeast. I don't know how to use them. Everything no. I make is uh, wild fermentation. But in yeah. any way, I mean, these may be catching some kind of yeast in my studio, but uh, I didn't add anything good to talk about your workshops a little bit what kind of people do come to your workshops is it kind of home fermenters or chefs at this moment no one comes because of the but you do a lot of them online right <laughs> yes i do <laughs> um i mean before lockdown um well if i start from the beginning i started doing very small from um, my studio in amsterdam and mm-hmm. uh well most of the people were coming from Netherlands, any parts of the, the Netherlands. And we started with the miso-making workshops. But people started wanting to know how to make a koji also, because to make miso, you need a soy and a koji itself too. So um, to meet that request, I started teaching how to make koji with the small workshops. But then I finally realized that the Netherlands is a small country, and uh, I think I probably saturated the population of the interest. So people started coming from outside the Netherlands, like all kind of you know the UK and neighboring countries, and and that's around the time a couple of years ago that I started traveling because it was easier that I go there to the destination and then people just get together there and then do the workshops. So yeah. that was the thing called the Kojiology yeah. tour. So it's like Koji's three days camp. We actually make a koji together with a bunch of nerds and maniacs. and mm-hmm. But we don't really have to work with the koji all the time. So in between times, I teach the uh, history and tradition and uh, we do the tastings and all kind of the full package um, uh, workshop. I don't really call it a workshop. It's a course camp mm-hmm. of all the enthusiasts. And mm-hmm. that's what we are doing before. And since last year, uh, spring or so, I'm doing sort of online tour and their classes because, yeah, well, talk about a tour. I also started bringing people to Japan mm-hmm. and, you know, some of my cosmology students wanted to come along with me, tag along with me to the other local breweries that I always visit. And uh, it's really nice to draw attention from outside Japan to look at all the qualities and the gifts we have and actually go there to, for a first, uh, first-hand experience see the real scene, how things are made and we can learn from them and we can spread the words and it was good for the breweries and it was good for my students. So I was doing a kind of Kojology Japan brewery tours back and forth and uh, I couldn't do that last year. So I was kind of doing it online. So online brewery tour, still taking people to Mm. the breweries. So that's about a thing I've been doing these days. Okay, cool. Mm. And what are like... What are, what are your students or people that come to your workshops or, or watch uh, watch you online uh, in these workshops? What are the common ways in which they're using koji? Are, are there some more? I've been reading in this book I've got in front of me, this Koji Al- Alchemy by uh, Jeremy Omansky and Rishi Shi. Yeah, it's really interesting because 
they take a lot of reference from uh, uh, traditional styles of using koji, which you've talked a lot about. But then there's a lot of modern techniques in which they're doing it to uh, cure meats and vegetables and things like that. I was wondering what your students are, are using it for. Are they are they sticking to the traditional ways of using misos, or are they adapting it in their own in their own way as well? Well, it's really broad range of uh, people come to my class, but uh, I mean myself, I'm really just a general lady who stick to the traditional ferments. So I can't yeah. make charcuterie or uh, with with ferments like Jeremy and Rich do, and mm. it's so fantastic. But uh, what I can offer is a traditional. Um, koji making and uh, Japanese traditional ferments and other few strange experiments I'm doing. But uh, people, some audience who come to my class are indeed very much experienced with the gastronomic cuisine. So they're, they're basically chefs. So they have much more experience with curing a meat and mm-hmm. kind of shortcutting the dry cure by using application of the kojis and uh, uh, definitely make a miso from the all kind of legumes, not necessarily from soy. It could be chickpeas and lentils and uh, mm-hmm. brown beans and stuff like that, maybe a mix even. And some people say, like, can I just throw in a pineapple into the miso from the beginning? And uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I can only say just go ahead and see what happens. Yeah, and, I guess that's the fun yeah. of it as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm also learning from my audience really a lot. Something new always comes in. So there's a mix of audience, the beginners and the... Um, experiments and um, well, professionals and so but it's nice to have those mixed people in one group and then yeah, see the beautiful mess and <laughs> the beautiful mess it's a great way of explaining it, explaining it yeah do you feel that in Japan there's more focus on that traditional or is that stuff also going on using lentil using chickpea uh, pineapple yeah I mean well some people are a, a, uh, I mean, they even have the book of the, the you know, the Koji Alchemy and uh, other books from the Christian Shockies and um, they are waking up for it. But uh, most of the people in Japan actually don't know how miso are made or no. how shoyu are made. It's there. It's just there. I mean, I didn't think of how they are made when I was so much younger and when I was in Japan because it was just there. I never just occur- didn't never occur to me. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But My parents there, didn't know. Are there a lot of... Uh... Small producers, and, yes, but there are also I large see. ones Definitely. that industrialize the process, maybe. Yes, absolutely. And also large ones doing it sort of in the true traditional way. I can imagine there are yeah. shortcuts to be made and additions or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they are. I mean, I don't think that big companies are doing lots of new experiments, but although they do produce new products by applying uh, knowledge they already have. But uh, we also have a small producers, that, which are some places where I focus on because they they are really interesting to go visit, see the difference in uh, making uh, from the scratch, you know, selection of the ingredient itself and selection of the spores and how they make it. And they all have different kind of incubation settings from, you know, whatever they could apply on. And, you know, and every time when you go visit them, they're doing different things. So that's interesting. But if you, the interest, the big companies also have, um, yeah, I mean, they, they stabilize the, the, the method to supply the most of the demands in the country. And they also, I mean, one company didn't even patent their method and uh, they just shared it. And that was the, yeah, I mean, the the gift for the many so small local brewers to be able to survive to today. And uh, that's a big communication between and uh, just, yeah, good, yeah, good stuff going on there. Cool. Yeah. There's, a, there's one final um 
Koji example I'd like to highlight, which is something we spoke about before the show. It's in that uh, magical bottle there. <laughs> it's the Doboroko, which is, uh, maybe it's best you give an introduction, but it's essentially a home-brewed sake, right? Um, yeah, I, w- I will try to avoid calling it the sake because I've had a number of people who tried this uh, drink before and I got all different reactions like some people love it and some people like because they expect sake and they have a sip of it and they're like what is this just has a strong punch and um so it's made from the uh well koji and rice and water that's all so no while uh no manipul- uh, commercially available yeast added it's a wide fermentation and it starts from making a um kind of lacto water called soyashimizu it is also called a monk starter because the, this recipe was kind of uh, made by the monks in the Shoryakuji temple in Nara in mm-hmm. old times. And they were making sake for finance in their temple. And mm-hmm. the method just um, is available to today. So you uh, kind of like to ferment the water by just the raw rice and the bag full of cooked rice. So... The enzyme from the raw rice will eat up the starches from the cooked rice and then produces certain, um, well, not certain, the lactic acid bacteria and lowering the pH down to like around, wow, say 4.4 4. 4 or so. And um, when that's ready, you can clearly taste the liquid is um, yogurt tea and it looks cloudy and you see a little gas being produced from the lactic acid bacteria. Right. And and. Once that's ready, you strain the liquid and you keep the raw rice and you steam that raw rice. So now that liquid is called soyashi water, lacto-fermented water. And in that water, you throw in some koji you made, fresh koji. And that's called a, a mizukoji. So you're sort of extracting the freshly made koji um, enzyme to the water. And when that's ready, you take out that steamed rice cool it down to body temperature, put it back into this jar and mix the whole thing up. And you remember when you had one more ingredient that's a cooked rice that was um, in a soyashi water, you spread that in a, on a top because that's also lacto-fermented, so it works like as a seal to scare away the other microbes. That That's day one and you leave it on a root countertop or so. And from the second day, you just break through that uh, and the uh, seal sealed and then you mix the whole thing up this is called kaire and then supply new oxygen and then really releasing the uh, metabolized gas out and then within a week or two you get a bubbly um alcohol alcoholic but still a little sweet and um porridge like thing and you can either choose to enjoy it as it is or you can also strain it which i did to separate the solids and lease and um a uh, liquid part. So this is a liquid part and you can also enjoy that least part for a different kind of cooking or condiments and stuff like that. So if you strain, if you filter it and if you maybe pasteurize it or so, then this becomes similar to sake but probably very different because this is made by just a one-step brewing Mm -hmm. and well, if you keep adding water, cozy rice for three or four times, that's three, four steps brewing then it becomes more like refined sake in the end. Sorry if I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but are there similarities between koji and yeast? They are both used to make different alcohols, sake and beer, but um, are there similarities? I'm, I'm keen for both of your opinions. I mean, I don't know. I mean, each microbe has different um, roles to take over. And 
Yeah, but what do you if think, Sander? If I understand correct, then mm. the koji is more often used to uh, break down starches into simpler sugars and add a lot of flavor during that, also breaking down proteins. And But it's not so much the they don't produce alcohol right they don't convert those sugars also into al- you need not directly no saccharomyces or mm. other yeasts uh, mm. or certain bacteria to do that mm. no 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 um mm. but the, the the question i have so there's a lot of stuff here on the table i think the first things that we sampled there's no intentional mm. uh yeast whether spontaneous or added uh yeast um added right no and, no it's also not for the misos or shoyus. There's no fermentation step in that sense that there's alcohol produced. No, not no. quite intentionally. I mean, I mean, in a final process, it, there's a step that you cannot choose to add a little alcohol to sort of the stop the stop or slower the fermentation. But for the most of the sake, homemade sorry, it's miso homemade miso, we don't really add anything. I mean, at least not intentionally. They may catch anything available in ambient air, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, but so all these products on the table and they're just... Um, the, so you can add a lot of different things, but it's also the amount of time. Yes. You you know, a miso will develop over years, like you mentioned. And yeah, yeah. if you want to make it to a soy sauce, then it you just need time, right? Mm. Or, or yeah. also just other microorganisms. That's hard to say. I mean, ooh, how to explain? Uh, there's a lot to explain. We can be <laughs> where, where to focus on. Like for example, that if I just focus on a time span, um, th- there are many different types of miso, and uh, the ratio of koji uh, versus to soy generates one on one. But uh, if you increase the ratio of koji, there's more. You know, the enzyme packed in koji, which means that. Um, yeah, well, it speeds up the fermentation because there's less food for the enzyme to break down. And and such kind of miso can be finished at, I don't know, six hour, six months or five months on. And also that depends on the ambient temperature. If you make, sure. make it in the summer, it may finish earlier. But, uh, well, for the relay of the microorganisms uh, work, I think it's interesting to just pick up the sake and because, like I said, first the lactic acid fermentation and, uh, well, that's not technically, I mean, lots of lactic acid bacteria derived from the koji itself too, but it also from the, and the raw rice. And to make a soyashi miso, soyashi water for this one, there's no koji at the beginning. It's just raw rice and the cooked rice and water yeah. and enzyme is and lactic acid bacteria can occur just naturally from there. Yes. And after that, koji will be added to there, and then we benefit the enzyme from the koji. And then that enzyme will break down the carbohydrate down into the simple sugars, and then there will be a wild yeast coming into that mixture to eat that sugar, turning mm. it into alcohol. And if yes. you leave it long enough, if there's another acidic and microbes coming in and turn the whole mm. thing into the vinegar. Yeah. So, so you'd always need to add another culture in order yeah. to, to ferment. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's a harmony of different microorganisms yeah. having their respective roles in the production process. And you yes. can manipulate adding raw rice uh, yeah. or adding koji, of course. Do you see similarity or, in beer brewing also? Do you see the similarity in yeah, that no, beer? Yeah, no, definitely. Brewing? Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, this beer is a perfect example of that where... 
the process and uh, the Rodebach Grand Cru to, to put a beer and age it in a wooden vessel that allows also mm-hmm. different microorganisms to express themselves uh, mm-hmm. in the beer and mm-hmm. make it also a bit vinegary, mm-hmm. uh, have this sharp acidity, but also like really rich lactic flavors and the base beer mm-hmm. has this caramelly and the wood uh, plays also perhaps a bit of a role uh, also in, in a layer of uh, in the flavor. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a strong similarity, I think. Can koji be used in the beer making process? And what would a koji beer taste like, do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I think I mentioned in the beginning that uh, the enzymatic uh, steps and 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 properties or the the, the enzymes there that, that are carried by koji, um, there is this, you know, uh, uh, starches, large carbo- carbohydrates are broken down in a mesh normally uh, in a brewery, mm. but you can maybe inoculate a mesh or your grains or uh, yeah, grains or mesh with goji and have this flavor development that you otherwise would definitely not have. You know, we, we a, mesh is, maybe. a mm. mesh is really just water and grain and we keep it at uh, somewhere between 16 and 70 degrees Celsius or around that range. And then these enzyme, enzymatic activity is speaking. Mm. Uh, so then you can do it really quick, mm. this uh, conversion from starches into sugars. Mm. Um, and depending on your brew house, you can have more or less control over that. Mm. Uh, but that step is definitely where Koji could play a role. And if you, that would be super interesting uh, to see what, you know, if you inoculate your, your if, if you see how aromatic this rice inoculated with koji is mm. uh, and starting with that as a base for a brew, you know, mm. then mm. just still have, have that mesh, parge it, rinse out uh, all the liquids and the sugars and just do your normal brewing process. Uh, yeah, that uh, that could lead uh, definitely into something interesting. And mm. I had to think of uh, this brewery from Norway, Nugneu. They, the founders spent time, uh, I think, also in Japan, and they also made sake. And I think really in the traditional way, so also washing the rice or getting the mm. polished rice and uh, uh, using koji and different yeast strains, their house yeast strain, but also different, uh, mm. more traditional yeast strains to ferment uh, into um, the sake and also all those fermentation steps using uh, mm. uh, charcoal filter- filters or not. And yeah. they had this whole series of different sakes, a very small batch, I think. But uh, yeah, so brewers do that. And I think it, it, it you know, it's, it's very related. Mm-hmm. It's a grain in the beginning. Mm. There's an enzymatic uh, uh, conversion. Mm-hmm. Then uh, there's either boiling, you can add the hops or, or you don't. Uh, and then there's fermentation with a yeast, or whether that's spontaneous mm. or and wild or more controlled. And then there are more conditioning, mm-hmm. treatment steps that you can choose to do or leave out, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> end up with something uh, more porridgey uh, as a double roku <laughs> or something more uh, clean and sharp like uh, a sake. Mm. Imagine like a thousand years from now, the koji dried beer becomes some kind of Dutch typical. Dutch typical beer, <laughs> like <laughs> food culture. I mean, because we're making, we're building a new food culture. It's amazing how Koji Trouble's father jumped out of Japan to be used so many ways like this. 
So now, after tasting all these examples, Sander, do you think you're going to be using uh, koji either in the brew house or a bit of home? Go for it. Home fermentation. <laughs> nah, yeah. So, like I said, Michiel, or I'm not sure if it was in the show, but Michiel, one of our brewers, uh, also uh, wants to start uh, mm. doing uh, shoyu and um, or misos, and mm. he. Um, he uh, shared some some culture, so I have a culture at home. I'm waiting for the moment. Mm. Indeed, last year uh, I really uh, uh, started uh, baking bread, and uh, mm. I have all I've, since a few years uh, small fermentation experiments going on at home. But no, really, uh, not really much. After we started homebrewing at home, of course, and we had uh, my house was full of all these fridges that were small fermentation mm. chambers. Yeah, uh, but um, uh, yeah, since then, I haven't been doing much grain ferments. Here's the mostly. starter for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you uh, can make it. But, but I would, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought about it. I have some, some books, not this one, but uh, mm-hmm. I have some books on fermentation. And it's, yeah, you know, of course it uh, appeals to me uh, a lot. And uh, yeah, sooner or later, uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm certainly curious, but... Marika, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Likewise. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the Radio Oedipus podcast, the podcast where we explore the culture of beer. Brought to you by Oedipus Brewing, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. On today's show, I was joined by Sandane Devane, co-founder and head brewer of Oedipus, and also Marika Grun, a koji specialist. You can find all information on her by heading to her website, which is www.malikafe.weebly.com. I will also leave a link to that in the show notes. Remember, you can find all episodes of the show on our website too, which is udipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Udipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by the one and only Ola iMusic, and tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.